0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Let's go now um, to God's Word from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Paul writes, Therefore... As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh God, we pray this morning that you would open our hearts and our minds to the beauty of your word but to the beauty of the living word, Lord Jesus. Oh, would you grow so large to us, so expansive to us, so all-consuming to us, Lord Jesus, that our hearts, our minds, our emotions, our very soul would be so aligned with you and the truth of who you are As king and ruler and Lord of all things that we would want to give everything to you that we would want to worship you anew that we would want to order our lives in your direction that that we would begin to see our work and our relationships and life in general with you at the very center actively lovingly sovereignly ruling as Lord. Oh God I pray that you would bring to life our hearts and minds to the very living word this morning. Do what I cannot do oh God and we pray in Jesus name. Amen. I don't know if you saw the reports this week uh, but there were several news sources stating that Brad Pitt had become a Christian. And, um, and I, I was intrigued by that, and I read um, two or three of the articles, and all of them were quoted. It must have been one interview, and here is um, the segment that seems to be where um, people were getting the fact that he has become a Christian. And I quote, Brad Pitt said, Oh man, I've gone through everything. Like, I cling to religion. I found myself coming back around to just belief in, and I hate to use the word spirituality, but just a belief in that we're all connected. <laughs> a Christian testimony with no mention of Jesus or Christ. And, and what I find from this is the very thing that we see in the scriptures and that is there are, we're always trying, there are always people in the church especially, certainly outside of the church but definitely in the church that, that want to make Christianity something that it's not by gutting the very essence of Christianity whose name is Jesus. And and friends, I think that is the pull, that is why our lives move from fulfillment and wholeness to incompleteness and anxiety and fear, because we try to live a Christian life without Christ. We try to live a Christian life without him being exactly who he says he is. And in the book of Colossians, which make no mistake, if you haven't caught it by now, Paul is lifting Jesus up so high, it's... I mean, he is the preeminent king. He is solely king, solely Lord. And, and, and if you see what Paul is doing, you understand that, that he was making his case while in prison. He was making his case... Um, while rotting in a jail with his future on this earth unknown and uncertain. Uh, completely out of control, unable to really do anything but write letters, and that's what he did. And so he's writing, but his primary agenda, his primary concern... It's not his condition in prison, but the fact that while he's in prison, there are false teachers trying to make Jesus something he's not. Trying to bring Jesus down, trying to demote him from his throne, trying to present a Christianity without Christ as King and Lord. And this is what keeps Paul up at night. This is what makes him anxious. This is what makes him afraid. Oh, the church. If the church loses Jesus, it's no longer the church. It's a club. It's an organization. It's a community group. But it is not the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus was getting at. You can't make Jesus what you want him to be. And that's why he said there are going to be many on that day that say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do great works in your name? Did we not do this? Did we not do that? And and Jesus says to the church, but I'm going to say to you, depart from me because I didn't know you. You made me to be something you wanted me to be. You fashioned an image of me that is not me. And friends, the reason Jesus is not the power and the life that you are longing for is because you have somehow demoted Jesus. You have somehow formed him in your heart and mind to be less than what he really is. You have to take Jesus. I have to take Jesus for who he is. And we all need that reorientation. And so this morning, let's allow ourselves to be reoriented to the person of Jesus. And the first question that I'll ask and the first point is this Have you received Jesus the Lord? Have you received Jesus the Lord? This morning, do you have an act of faith that Jesus is on his throne? Because Paul begins by saying, therefore, as you receive Christ the Lord. He's assuming that, okay, my people understand who Jesus is by now. Because everything I said in chapter 1 and the first uh, five verses of chapter 2, surely you get this Jesus who sits high on his throne and rules supremely. But we need to go back. Because the rest of it doesn't make any sense until you understand who Jesus is. And uh, chapter 1 and verses 15 through 17 are really the theme verses of Colossians. And listen to these verses. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. He is the king, he is the creator, he is the sustainer, he is the essence of all reality. Both visible and invisible. Let's, let's break that down. First of all, visible. And this is just a, this is a, a review, if you will. Um, Michael Rhodes dealt with this passage incredibly well. But we need to be reminded yet again that Jesus is king of the visible. You see, all unbelief is, is rooted in the reality that Jesus is not really king of everything. So he's not really king of the visible. Atheism, the very heart of atheism, is that all that that exists is visible and yet atheism has no explanation for how the visible is holding together. And that's the real problem with atheism. It, It reduces the visible to science, to what we can prove, what we can put under a microscope. And and yet I contend um, and, and Christian apologists contend that the only reason you can put it under a microscope, any matter under a microscope and study it is because God is on his throne ruling over it because in him all things hold together that there is order science pre- presumes there's going to be order it presumes there's uniformity there's systems and cycles that are predictable or else we could not study them i mean you think about it i mean some some say yeah but look at the disorder yeah but the disorder proves that there's order you can't have disorder unless there is order there would just be reality <laughs> There wouldn't be order and disorder. If everything was disorder, it would just be reality. I'm sorry, I hope you're following me, but this is really, really important. You see, if you just take the human body, and um, if you just study the, the human body, if you just take chromosome 21 in a human body, and you duplicate it by either a whole nother chromosome 21 or even a partial chromosome, you have Down syndrome. This deformity, this irregularity is a tiny one chromosome, a partial addition to one chromosome. Unbelievable. You take cancer and you look at uh, its cell growth in a wrong direction. It, it, it's, it's the body being invaded by cells doing what they should not do producing bad cells that attack and this is a problem for atheism because atheism doesn't know how it, and, and, and those who are say, well I'm just you know I'm, I'm about science and what can be proven you can't just look under the microscope you've got to say what's holding it all together I mean, we are 93 million miles away from the sun. And yet, if we increase that distance by about 5 million, we would freeze to death. I mean, you just keep, you look at all of these statistics and you're like, something has to be holding it together. And for the Christian, it's answered. His name is Jesus. And you see, that's the only reason I'm going to get on an airplane tomorrow at 10 a.m. Because I believe, because King Jesus is reigning over the visible and material, that hydrodynamics is going to work tomorrow morning at 10 the same way it worked today at 10. Because there is a personal God who is ruling over his world. There is a personal God who is intimately involved in his creation. You see, creation is not just neutral. The psalmist says, all of creation praises your name. Oh, do you, are you bound? I, I did ministry in Colorado for five years, and man, creation is God. But oh, how sad. Because all creation does and creation is glorious. You really can be infatuated with it. You really can love it. It can become all-consuming. Why? Because God is giving us a taste of his glory. God is drawing us. God is is showing us his beauty. He's showing us his majesty with the mountains. He's showing us his glory in the streams. He's giving us his glory with the beaches and the ocean. He's showing the magnitude of his being in all creation. As we look up in the stars and we think this is just one galaxy out of billions Oh, it should it, our, our heart should open wide to this glorious king who didn't just create it, but who is sustaining it. Right now, he knows every hair on your head. He knows every piece of sand on the beach. He knows it all because he is ruling it all, and he is personal in his rule. That's why she, you should be able to sleep tonight. And that's why you should wake up and say, okay, I better answer this whole God question. Because if this is true, then this is not a God. If it's true that this is a God who reigns over the billions of galaxies, this is not a God that you can just say, oh, okay, I'm going to give you a little nod on Sunday mornings. This is a God who has authority To rule over your invisible life. And he's also king of the invisible. Both visible and invisible. What does that mean? What is the invisible? It's the spiritual. It's the moral order. God is not, there's not just this cosmos. It's not just this physical creation where everything works in order because God is orchestrating it like a, a master conductor and a king sitting on his throne, but there's also a moral order. There's also a spiritual order. There's a way in which life is to work and he is ruling over that. Modern people deny the invisible. They deny the spiritual and the moral order, but you can't get away from it. This is my saying that a friend of mine said to me years ago and I've been contemplating it since and it's profound and yet it's simple. You cannot break God's law. You can only be broken by it. You think you're breaking God's law. I think I'm breaking God's law. I think I'm being all creative. I'm doing an end around the God of glory. And God says, I'm sorry, but it's just impossible. You try to break my law and it's going to break you. And haven't we all experienced that? There was an article published in the New York Times back in 2010. It was the most read article of the decade of of the New York Times. It was written by a woman uh, by the name of um, Wendy Plump. And uh, it's entitled, A Room Full of Yearning and Regret. Write that down, put that in your phones. I really want y'all to read this. It is worthy to be read and we just don't have time to go through the whole article. But this is a woman, I don't believe she's a Christian, but this is a woman who both was married and had an affair, and then her husband had an affair as well. So she has both experienced what it's like to have an affair, and she's experienced what it's like for her spouse to have an affair and and cheat on her, per se. And she is writing this very raw and and honest article um, about, and and it's really a polemic against having an affair from a non-Christian. And let me just read a little bit of it. She she is speaking to a friend of hers, and she's arguing um, her case, and she says this. Start, I suggested to her, her friend, by picturing yourself in the therapist's office, With your betrayed husband after you've been found out, in in parentheses, and you will be found out, in parentheses. Um, And you will hear yourself saying you cheated because your needs weren't being met. Uh, The spark was gone. You were bored in your marriage. Your lover understands you better. One or another version of this excuse will cross your lips like some dark, knee-jerk, Hallmark card sentiment. Now, I'm not saying these feelings aren't legitimate, just that they don't legitimize what you're doing. If you believe they did, your stomach wouldn't drop on your way out the door to your lovers. You wouldn't feel the need to shower before climbing into the marital bed after liaison. You wouldn't feel like a train had stuck you in the back when your son asked you why you forgot his lacrosse game the other day. See, what she's attesting to is I went after the law of God. I sought to break the law of God, but it broke me. I I tried to do an end around uh, this moral order of the cosmos and the universe, and it broke me. And and here's where the church has failed in this. We respond to the culture when it tries to do an end around, whether it's sexuality or, um, you know, gender issues or money or politics or whatever it is, we try to do an end around and say, well here, here's the moral order, here's the law. And culture, church, sinners, if you just come in line with the law, then you'll be great. And the law has no more life in it than anything else. The law is not our life, Jesus is our life. You see, there are plenty of people who are staying celibate, who are following the rules, and who are miserable. Because they are following the moral law, but they are living without the glory of Jesus and his love. They're living blind to the reality of who Jesus is for them and in them. They're living without the glory of this God. I was, I was thinking... I'm always thinking, how do we tell those who don't believe the gospel about the gospel? How do we convince? And I'm reformed. I understand we don't convince. The Holy Spirit convinces. We're not the... I get all that. But how do we argue for the gospel? I I mean, especially in a wealthy culture. Is, is Jesus any better than, oh, man, I mean, you're making enough money to travel almost once a month? I mean, you're gone almost every weekend? You're, you know, you're doing these, all these extravagant things? Is Jesus, ah, I mean, us looking in, you know, we're like, well, dang, man. Their life looks better than my life. Oh. See, we, we're, we're operating, therefore, when those thoughts come in, we're operating from the, the unbelief that Jesus is better. And we're not experiencing the reality that he's better. We are not tasting the reality of the life of Jesus that we might tell somebody else. Do we see it? Do we see that? You see, that's how Paul can be sitting in jail saying, you guys need to be abounding in thanksgiving. And they're like, are you kidding me? Nero's on the throne. How can we be abounding in thanks?" Don't talk to me about love and happiness when Nero is on the throne. Wow, that hurts. Don't talk to me about being happy when he's in Washington. Paul says, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, time out. I don't know what kind of Christianity you're practicing, but I don't know what kind of Jesus you're looking at, but it's not the Jesus that I'm looking at. Because the Jesus I'm looking at, it doesn't matter who's on the throne. It doesn't matter if he puts you in prison. He doesn't matter if he takes my head tomorrow. He is worth it because he is the essence of joy. He's the essence of life. He's the essence of happiness. He's the essence of fulfillment. Everything in life just points to him because he is ruling over it all. You see, to make the moral law the hill to die upon would be like arguing for marriage because it preserves the family, meets our need for companionship, and is the context for sex. And to be honest with you, that's how we present it most evangelicals. Marriage preserves humanity, meets our need for companionship, and is the context for sex. Wow, that's really compelling. Or, I, well, let me just, So, everybody that I meet with, before they get married, I ask them this one question. Why, I love, this is my favorite question. And I've got one couple I'm meeting with for the first time, I'm gonna ask you this. You're probably in this room, uh, so get ready. I'm gonna just give it away. Tell me why you wanna marry this other person. And I just sit back and listen. I love to ask that question. And no one has ever said, well, because it fits in line with the moral order and, it, and, and they help me with my need for companionship and I really want to have sex. No one has ever said that. Ever. And I can guarantee if you did, the other person would get up and leave the room and that would be the end of the engagement. You, you can't come at it from this law, this mechanical thing. I mean, are those things benefits? Absolutely. Are they glorious? Yes, but are they the essence of marriage? I hope not. Because if it is, then it's not a marriage. It's an arrangement. No friendship. No, you see, it's the intimacy it, it, it's the love. when I, I, they, a, a person will speak about the love. Oh, I just so admire. I just so love them. I, I, you know, they just give me. You can see their whole demeanor change. You can see their face light up and, oh, and isn't God so good? You see, we long for someone to sit across from us, to stand on a stage like this and, and hold our hands and say, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health till death do us part. I see you, I love you. We're gonna be naked before each other and you're gonna say, I still want you. You're gonna know my soul and what you're saying is, I still love you. You're gonna see the worst part of me and you're gonna stand across from me and say, I still love you and I'm not leaving and your sin can't drive me away and you can't drive me away. But why? Because marriage is a taste for the real love that we were made for. The king of glory. Because I can't love my wife like he can love me and love her. I can't give her what she really needs. She can't give me what I really need. It's impossible. But there's one that can. And out of his love, we can pour some some drops into each other's lives. Do you see? That's how it works. Oh, you were created for a love. You were created for a faithfulness. You were created for a goodness. You were created for a pleasure. You were created for these things, but his name is Jesus Do you see that? Life is more than the invisible, the visible. It is the invisible, the intangible, the moral order. And yet the moral order is not enough. Jesus is the only one who is enough. And so Paul says, therefore, since you've accepted Jesus the Lord, since Jesus is massive to you, he's everything to you now, it's, now comes the good part. Now walk in Him. That's what He says. So walk in Him, rooted, built up in Him, and established in the faith. Get rooted, built up, and established. Rooted, built up, and established. Now that you see, now that you understand that Jesus is behind everything, that He is the end goal of everything. And you can go to him and then live life. You can understand he's ruling. It doesn't matter what's happening in Washington. It doesn't matter what's happening in your office. It doesn't hap- matter what happened in your marriage or uh, in your, your uh, job or in your friendships or anything. It doesn't matter what's happening in the cosmos. Jesus is ruling. Now that we've got that straight, receiving him is followed by life of walking in him. Oh, this is so important. Rachel and I were keeping um, Whitney and Jed, Whitney, our daughter, uh, Whitney and Jed Hale, our um, daughter and son-in-law's kids, Braden Bennett, and Kylie, while Whitney and Jed celebrated their 15th wedding anniversary and went to some exotic, glorious place. And, um, and one morning, the boys... Uh, before they went out to wait on the bus, they said, hey, can we go out and, and kick the soccer ball? And I'm like, sure, cool, y'all go do it. And so they went out kicking the soccer ball, but Kylie, little, you know, four-year-old Kylie, like, can I go? Can I go? Sure, you can go. Well, she goes out there and, what, you know, so I opened the door a little later and, um, and she's crying. I'm like, what's going on, Kylie? And, uh, well, they, they hurt me, they hurt me, They you know, and they won't kick the ball to me. And, uh, you know, it's not abnormal. Um, not abnormal. And I'm like, Okay. So I go over and I pick her up. She stops crying, and I said, "Hey guys, y'all kick the ball to Kylie." She kind of, yeah, y'all kick the ball to Kylie. <laughs> now what happened? She went from living in her resources to living in my resources, and that seems so insignificant. It seems so tiny. It seems like such a small little shift. But oh, it is the essence of Christianity. And if you've never flipped that switch, if you don't understand that you have a God who knew you from all eternity, He knows everything about you. You're not hiding anything from Him. He knows it before you do it. He knows you before you don't do it. And He said, I choose you. I choose you not because you're good, not because you add anything to me, but because I'm love, and that's what love does. And he sent his own son, after we messed it all up, he sent his own son to live under the law for us, to obey the law in our place. You've heard me say it a million times, maybe a thousand times. Every, every, you know, religion says, here's the law, see how you do, and how you do determines your eternity. Our God says, here's the law, it's higher than you can possibly imagine. You'll never do it, so I'm sending my son to do it for you. I just don't think we hear that. I don't think we get that most days. Jesus obeyed the law not to stand on a stage like this and say, look at me. He, he, he obeyed the law so that you could go to God and be loved eternally and perfectly as much as God loves him. And then he goes to the cross and he becomes all your sin. And this is the great exchange. When we believe that, we, he takes our sin, the punishment, and everything we know we deserve for our sin, and we get what he deserves, and that's love. That's the gospel. Isn't it beautiful? He's done it all. And when we start resting in that, we'll start having some confidence to say, kick the ball to me we'll start having some confidence to tell our co-workers, oh, there's, there's more hope. I know this job is horrible. I, I know you're frustrated. I know your marriage is bad. I know whatever's going on. I know you have this disease. Oh, but there's one that can overshadow what's going on in your life. There really is hope. What you're wanting is hope. What you're wanting is love. What you're wanting is someone to notice you. What you're wanting is a lover. Guess what? There is one. He's the God of the universe. Do you see that? Receiving is followed by walking in him. When we're walking in him, life begins to make sense. Moral teaching and the law possesses no power. It just isolates us in our own power. Okay, it's all on me today to show Jesus how impressed he should be with me. That is all about Richard, and there's no power. Okay, what do we do? We take the law. I'm going to do better today. We fall. We get back up. I resolve to do better today. We fall. We get back up. I resolve to do better today. Okay, I I give up. I'm done with Christianity. It's not working for me, because that's not how Christianity works. (laughs) That's not the life. The, The life is... Oh, I see. I, I want to obey your love. Oh, I fall, but oh, thank you, Jesus, that you forgive me. I am your righteousness right now. In all the guilt I feel and all the regret I have, you are loving me perfectly through Jesus. Oh, I want to, I want to, I want to obey you, my lover. Because nobody treats us like that. Nobody. But that's what we were made for. That kind of love. The power of that kind of love. And this is what Paul is getting at. He says, walk in him. Notice he doesn't say walk Like him. The Greek word for walk is uh, parapato. It means to live or behave or go about doing, behave in him. Live in him. Go about doing in him, not like him. It's silly to think you can walk like Jesus. I mean, basically, if all of my muscles fail and there's paralysis throughout my body, I mean, that's what it's like. Here's the law, now go obey it. I'm trying. No, the only way I'm going to walk is if somebody comes and grabs my, puts his arm under me, grabs my legs, and does it, Grabs my other leg, holding me up. That's what it is. That's the Christian life. And we never outgrow that. It's not like, oh, Christian growth is I get to a point where I don't need Jesus anymore. He can now be a spectator. No, we are on life support to him. It is walking in him. It is not mechanical. It's organic. I was thinking about this uh, in the backyard of um, Tom and Amy, uh, Amy Catherine, and look—they at they have this huge tree. You still, have, yeah, look at that tree. Thing is massive. If that thing goes down, their house is obliterated. I mean, massive. Um, and and how does a tree grow like that? It's got a strong root system. If at any point. The top of that tree says, Oh, look at me and all of my glory, waving in the wind. I don't need you roots. It's dead in a matter of hours or days. As soon as something happens to a root, you can determine, you can predict like a prophet, that tree's dead. Friends, when we stop living in Christ, when we stop living weak and dependent upon Him, when we stop praying, not not the checkoff list prayer, but when we wake, stop waking up in the morning and saying, if you don't show up, I'm dead today. If you don't, you know, if we aren't crying to him, this is why we went through the Psalms of, uh, the, the, the Psalms of lament and worship this, um, and praise this past summer. Because it is essential if we're not crying out to God. I mean, that's what roots have to do. We're getting dry. We, we need some water. You know. And they, they find it, you know, they sense water and those roots are, they're moving toward that water. We're growing. Oh, we got some water. If we're not living like that as Christians, we're done. It's over. That's why meditation, ceaselessly praying, feeding off of his word, it's not to check off a list. It's because we understand that there is paralysis, spiritual paralysis, and we need to be hooked into the life of God. This is not some extra level of Christianity. This is Christianity. It's the only way it works. That's what Paul is saying. Be rooted, built up, and established. Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. How do we in our heads get that God is always saying, you better be perfect, you better you better get it together. Oh, I'm ashamed of you today. No, be strong in my power. No, here's my power, it's here, come to me, come to me. Stop doing it on your own, please. I had this, uh, I was holding Kylie, she uh, down here, two Kylie illustrations, sorry about that, but it literally just happened about 30 minutes ago. I was holding her while I was singing, and I said, Now, darling, you're going to have to go back to your mom in a minute because I have to get up there and preach. She said, Okay. She said, I quote, I love running to my mommy. That's really all I had to say this morning. That's really what Paul is saying. Do you love running to your daddy? Do you love running to your God? are you so just consumed with him what he's done for you who he is for you the reality that he is controlling every single thing in your life and he is your lover he's the one for you more than you're for yourself he believes in you more than you believe in yourself he do you understand do you love to run to your dad do you love to run to your father do you want his strength emanating in your life do you understand what he's done for you and who he is? Oh dear friends, what are you going through? Do you understand that the God who the Lord of the visible and invisible is not a spectator in whatever circumstance you're in, but he is ruling it. That's why Paul can say in Romans 8, he's working all things for the good of those who be. Why? Because he's king of the visible and the invisible. He is ruling over everything. There's literally nothing that is outside of his rule, outside of his kingdom rule. He is ruling everything. So you can trust him, dear friends, because he has shown you the essence of his heart by sending his own son. And thirdly and finally, this is why when we receive Jesus as Lord and we walk in Jesus, the Lord, we will abound in thanksgiving of him as Lord. Again, Paul is in prison. Paul is in prison. How can he do anything for God in prison? He's wrote some letters. They turned out pretty good. But how can he really make kingdom effect? He probably didn't think, you know, I don't know. Maybe Paul thought, man, nobody's ever going to read these things. I got to do something. I don't know. He's in prison. And yet, he is full of joy. Why? Listen to chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Two key things. So walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, okay being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. now what is he okay? Again, difference between religion and Christianity. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance? Okay, anybody else watching the Olympic trials, or all the qualifying stuff? Anybody see the gymnastics world championships, Simone Biles, kick and tail, the whole world bows before her, you know, she's going to the Olympics. How? Because she qualifies for the Olympics. But hey, she's still got to go to the Olympics. She's not gonna go from the qualifier to the podium and the gold around her. Now it's hers to lose, that's, listen to all that language. It's hers to lose, and she's the one to beat. She is qualified, but she yet to has the prize, but the prize depends on her and her performance. And that is how most of us daily think that's how the Christian life works. And it doesn't. He, has qualified, past tense, complete, full essence, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. There is nothing you can do to qualify yourself for glory because Jesus died, went into the ground, came out of the ground. He ascended on high. He is ruling over heaven and earth. This Jesus has qualified you. Your future is decided if you are in Christ. Well, I don't obey Christ as much as you're... No, t- no, 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 no. Are you falling into His arms and resting on Him? And no, but you don't even have perfect faith. He knows that. He had perfect faith so that you... Because He knew that you wouldn't have perfect faith. What? Do, do you see that? He has qualified you for the prize. Glory is yours. Your inheritance is certain. So what are you anxious about? What are you fearing? If you know the end from the beginning, then you can give up because you know you're gonna get. That, this is the whole argument of, of Corinthians uh, w- with Paul lifting up in 1 Corinthians 15 the, um, the the resurrection of Jesus. Why is it important to believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Because when you know you're in, when you really believe your future, it totally impacts your present. Because you can give up, you can sacrifice. You That's one thing you'll never see in that article that I read um, from Miss Plump. She's never going to say, well, I could, I should have given it all up because I know there's a future glory coming she's saying I I, I should have given it all up so I wouldn't be feeling the misery that I do right now oh we as Christians we can give it all up and we can have maybe a little misery for the time being because we know what's coming and what's coming is the Hoover Dam of of glory (laughs) when it breaks it is coming we are not even going to think about all of this it's going to be so overwhelming it's going to be so all um, um, all encompassing it will take everything in us for eternity to thank God over and over and over again for the joy and the glory and the hope that we have in him. And that is the Christian gospel. And that's why Paul, he didn't say, okay, tell me what's going on. Uh, ah, okay, well, abound in thanksgiving, do, just do. He said, I don't care what's going on because that's what's going on. That's the reality, live out of it now like I'm having to. I'm in jail. Live out of it now. Oh, it's just a little while that we're in this flesh, but glory is coming. Oh, dear friends, would you believe in that Jesus this morning? If you're here and you don't believe, did you hear something? That, did you hear anything this morning that would make you say, okay, I would at least I want to hear more about this Jesus? Are you here this morning? You say, I've been walking with Jesus, but man, I've been so dry. Glory be to God. Oh, I needed this this morning. I needed Paul's message. I needed to be reminded. Then walk in him. Declare him your Lord again. Abound in thanksgiving because of the triumph that he's already accomplished and he's qualified you to share in. Give glory to him. Amen. I'm going to ask that our some elders, um, community group leaders, some of our leaders, our prayer team, to be on either side. If you just want to go offload, whatever burden might be in your heart this morning, if you want somebody just to pray for you to say, man, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I'm trying to believe this, but I need somebody to help me, just to walk with me, pray with me. If you guys would go now, and let's pray together. Our great and glorious God, we thank you that this hope is our hope not because of us, but because of you. Oh, Lord Jesus, king and creator, ruler, preeminent one, over visible and invisible, over all authorities, all thrones, of all times, (laughs) we thank you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're also the king of heaven. And oh, what glory it will be. We thank you that there is hope for the oppressed. There is hope for the worn down, the broken, the disappointed, the disturbed. We pray this morning by your spirit that you would move our hearts. Oh, God, would somebody in this place today, would many somebodies believe you, Lord Jesus. May many of us longtime Christians be impassioned, be uh, just shaken from the lukewarmness and um, the complacency of our lives to see you as a God who reigns over every single circumstance supremely, lovingly, joyfully for our good and your glory. Oh God, do your work, Holy Spirit. We beg you. And now receive what we bring to you. Oh, what a small gift it is, oh God. But move our hearts to respond in giving back to you for what you've given to us, Lord. May we sacrifice. May we go all in. May we trust you that you're the God that rules over even our money. You rule over it all. Our health, our everything. So receive these gifts, oh God as offerings of praise and thanksgiving to who and what you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name.